it doesn't take long before they start to act out those themes and their play with, you know, toys. Man, I brought back UNLV professor Garrett Pace to discuss another tool that you can use as a father to help your children help themselves. After this discussion that I had with Professor Pace, I was completely shocked with the end result that you can get out of this. I wasn't expecting it. It was something that I was kind of doing with my kids a little bit, and he fine-tuned it for me, and now it's something that I'm looking forward to using to help my kids help themselves. Let's give it a listen. There is something that me and you had talked about before that is called special play that I strongly believe in. Why don't you explain to us what it is and how it can be used as a tool for fathers? I'd be happy to. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. So thanks for bringing me on to talk about it. First, I just want to say like to talk about what play even is and why it matters. So play is a universal language. It's everywhere, you know, from a very young age, arguably even in the womb, you know, parents are playing with their kids. I don't know about you, but like, I remember kind of like nudging my kids when they were in the womb. I don't know to the extent that it was play, but it felt like play to me sometimes when they were, when they were kind of getting ready to come out. And, you know, it's in this, it's in this context of play that children are exploring the world, they're learning, and and they're interacting with their family and friends. And yeah, you might even consider it a form of work for young kids. Cause you know, they're obviously not big enough, like really young kids, to do like real work. So their work is to explore and to learn. And they do that through play. And what makes us fun is that, you know, it's fun to do. You know, I think especially dads really enjoy playing with their kids. And in fact, research shows that on average, fathers do play with their children more than mothers do. Um, and they also play a little differently than moms do. So fathers engage in a little bit more of like a rough and tumble type of play, like kind of like wrestling. And it's more humorous and spontaneous and there's more risk taking involved. And so it's teaching kids to like, you know, that it's okay to like try things and to take risks and to... Um, be silly and and all these things. And there's research on this, but there could be, there needs to be a little bit more, but there there are some studies that suggest that kids who, ex, uh, uh, kids experience unique benefits from playing with their fathers above and beyond playing with their moms. So fathers are bringing something to play that mothers may not be playing, be bringing in all circumstances. And so, you know, that's general play. And so, but we're really here to talk about playtime or uh, it's often called special play. So uh, special play is a deliberate and child-centered form of play. And, you know, often when men play with kids, like we're taking on an active role, like we're showing them how to throw the ball. We're show the, showing them how to do all these things. We're, um, we're teaching them as we play with them a lot of the time and we're, helping them like, you know, have these narratives with the toys that they're playing. Um, we're giving them ideas and we're often playing with multiple kids at once, but in special play, 
we're playing with only one child at a time and we're letting the child take the lead. So we're kind of sitting back and we are an active participant, but it's, it's a, it's in a very different way. So we're giving them our undivided attention and there are specific rules and methods that we implement with special play. And the, I'll get into like the details of how to do it, but the reason we do it is because it can help us develop uh, closer and more trusting relationships with our kids. And it can help us understand our kids and what they're going through. Um, even kids who are not quite verbal yet, which is really important because like play is like this universal language. So even at a very young age, kids are able to communicate through their play. And also it just empowers kids. It helps them feel like they can overcome the challenges that they're facing. So it's something that I've done with my kids and I'm trained in how to do it. It's one of my favorite things to do. So let me jump in here real quick and share an experience I had with using this similar thing. I was really tired coming home and with a lot of my kids, you come home from work, you're really tired, they're really energetic, they want to play. So my little girl, she wanted to play dolls with me. And I went ahead and I did it and I let her lead and I just followed her along and just spent that one-on-one -on -one time with her. And it was so cute because the next morning at six in the morning, I wake up and there's this cute little girl standing there in front of my face and she was holding up the doll to go play some more. And so she was just craving that one-on-one -on -one attention that I gave to her and then kind of letting her lead the play. And so now I try to do that with all of my kids where it's just me and them, and then I let them kind of lead the play, and the result is the same every time. It may not be exactly like what you're saying, but there are some similarities between what I'm hearing. Yeah, it works. It really does. It's amazing. Like, And, and you can see those benefits pretty quick. You know, it's like the next morning, she's holding that doll and ready to play at six in the morning. It's great. And it's really cool too because, so if you kind of do this throughout your kid's childhood, once they reach adolescence and young adulthood, you know, the time when like they're really at risk of kind of messing up or having a really difficult life, having that safe space already established with them, like this relationship can help them to open up to you and can hopefully prevent, you know, suffering that might happen otherwise. So there's all these like immediate and long-term benefits and there's more than one way to do it, but I'm going to kind of explain sort of like a, uh, a structured way to do it. And then if people are interested in this, they can modify it, you know, however they want. Um, but there are some general principles that people should follow. So to try this out, there needs to be some preparation. What's best is for you to choose a private place in your home, such as a bedroom where you can close a door and be alone. So it really is one-on-one. -on -one. Like there's nobody else watching or hopefully even really hearing what's going on. And then you establish a physical boundary on which the play is going to stay. So um, something like a rug or a blanket on a floor works well. So, you know, like a queen size blanket or whatever, whatever blanket you have, whatever space you have, put a blanket down. And that's the space that the play is going to take place. And, and it's not going to go out of that. And then you put toys around the perimeter of the special play area. And it's up to you how many you put, 
Um, some people have like a bin of special toys that only come out during these special play sessions. And um, it's it's a good idea to have a range of toys that can meet various purposes. So for example, it's good to have a set of toys that reflect things in the real world, like a doll or a maybe a toy phone, maybe like people figures, a dollhouse, play money, uh, like a couple cars or, or trucks. Um, something that's really nice is like a, a doctor toy kit, like with a, a stethoscope where you can listen to someone's heart. Those kinds of things are good, band-aids. Uh, and then it's good to have toys that can sort of invoke an aggressive theme. Things like a like a punching bag or toy, like, you know, those little blow-up things that you can punch. Those are good. Nerf guns, toy soldiers, uh, like scary animals, like a shark. And then it's good to have toys that invoke creativity, like Play-Doh, crayons, and paper, that kind of stuff. So like those are like kind of like the three categories of toys that are good to have. And if people don't want to set all that stuff up, it's okay. Like whatever people do is fine. But like in general, this is sort of the best practice. And then it's like, it's all very methodical here. Like you got to tell your spouse or any other adults or teenagers, whoever needs to know, tell them that you're going to be doing this play session so that they know they shouldn't walk into the room. Um, So that prevents disruption. And then you tell your child and then you tell them how long it will be. Uh, So maybe it's 15 to 30 minutes. It could be less or more depending on what your situation is. And then when you're ready, put a timer on your phone for however long it's going to be, and then set your phone on the other end of the room out of sight. So there's no screens. Then you make sure the kid understands the rules. So there's really only maybe three rules. Like the first rule is that you stay on the blanket or whatever it is, whatever the boundary is. And then the second rule would be that, you know, you stop playing shortly after the timer goes off, maybe one or two minutes after the timer goes off, you're done. And then you're done. Like you don't keep going. And then third, like you don't hurt each other or yourselves. So like nothing too aggressive should happen. So that's the prep. And then you have the session. And this is where it gets pretty important because there's like a way to, to do this. So the child is the leader and the parent is following the child's lead. And so let's say you sit down the first time to do this and the child looks around and is like, what do I do? Like, what should I play with? And you don't tell them what to do. Like you should say something. But what you should say is something like, you can decide. So you put it back on them. And then, you know, they might look around or maybe they'll just go straight to something. It just depends on the kid. Um, But don't decide for them, even if it takes a while. And then as they're playing, don't make any suggestions about what they should do. For example, like if you get bored, let's say like your kid is playing with the dolls and you're just like, I'm so sick of playing with dolls. Like you don't suggest something else like maybe you would do that when you're just doing regular type of play outside of this like i've done that before but in this type of a thing you don't you just keep going with it as long as they want to because they're in charge you don't ask questions like don't ask like oh why why are you playing with that toy or why is it doing that um you don't ask those types of questions Uh, don't, don't ask any questions at all there's an exception but in general don't ask questions and then don't judge what they're doing don't give any visible reaction that says like, oh, this is great. Or this is bad that you're doing this. Like it's a no judgment zone. And also it's kind of weird, but don't praise them. Don't say, oh, like, good job. You drew that house so well, or good job. Like you're playing so nicely with those toys. Like you absolutely do not say 
that type of a thing because that is invoking your own opinions about how things should be going. What you should do is regularly communicate that you're paying attention to what's going on. And you do this in a few ways. And one of them is through something called tracking. So it's almost like sports casting. And this is one reason why I think men not only are good at playing, but I I think they're especially well-equipped to engage in special play with their kids because it's like they're being a sports caster for their own child and they're kind of narrating what's going on. So for example, if your child says that they're a dog and they start barking, you might say something like, you're a dog and you're barking. You're saying what's happening as it's happening. And that is affirming to the kid that you're there and you're present with them and you're paying attention. If they're stacking Lego bricks, you might say something like, you're stacking them up. If they decide that they want to color, you shouldn't say like, oh, what a great idea. You should say something like, you've decided you want to color next. And you kind of do it in like a calm way. And then whenever possible, try not to assign a label to objects that the kid isn't explicitly labeling. For example, just because the kid is playing with a toy car doesn't mean that they are playing with it as a car. Like in their mind, it might be a bus or it's a spaceship or a time machine or or something. It could be anything. So don't assume that you know what they're doing as they're doing it. And so in order to avoid making those assumptions, like try to use non-specific words like this, that, and it. And um, something else you can do is reflect their feelings. For example, if they color something and they say, hey, daddy, look at my picture. And they're all excited about it. Don't praise them. You can say, you're proud of your picture. You know, like reflect what they're saying, affirm their feelings about it. So just like what you were saying, a sport caster. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like a sports caster. And if they don't like their picture and they rip it up, you know, you could say something like, oh, you don't like the way your picture turned out, something like that. And you can also do like, hmm, or ah, like you can just do do these kind of like little sounds. You don't always have to like say words just to show that you're there and like paying attention and also sit on the floor. Don't sit on a chair. You know, you want to be on the same level as the kid. And also the child might invite you to play with them actively. Um, If they do, then you should, but if they don't invite you, then don't. So for example, if you're sitting there and they start playing with some toys in the corner and they're faced away from you, you know, don't go over and play with them. Like sit there and like, you know, try to see what they're doing, but don't get in their face. And even if they're not in the corner, if they're just like right in front of you, just like, you know, do the sports caster thing, show them that you're there. And then if they say, you know, play with me or whatever, they hand you a toy or they say, let's play this game and you're the you're the robber and I'm the I'm the cop or something like then you are taking on an active role and you're asking them what they want you to do and that's when it's okay to ask questions so if there's a dialogue going on you might say like okay what should I say next you know you whisper to them um to see what they want you to say and then i guess the last thing to say about what's happening during the session is that they might break the rules like if they leave the boundary or they start being really aggressive then you should redirect them. So for example, like let's say you do have a Nerf gun and they want to shoot you. That's probably something that you shouldn't allow. It's okay for them to shoot something else, but not you. So you would say something like, I know you'd like to shoot me, but I'm not for shooting. And then if they continue to shoot you, you have to read, you know, you just have to like continue to redirect and potentially even close out the session. And there's all these other things that they could do. Let's say they, they grab the crayons. They could be drawing on toys. You know, they probably shouldn't do that. If they keep leaving the blanket or shooting you or whatever, 
you just say, you know, during special play, we stay on the blanket. And if they keep breaking the rules, don't punish them. Don't say, if you keep doing this, you can't play the Nintendo later today. Like, absolutely do not do that. What you should do is just have a natural consequence and just end the session early and tell them, you know, if you continue to break the rules, we are going to have to end our play session early. And, you know, after they've had a a warning or two, then you do it. You follow through with what you say and then you close it out and then you're done. Now that doesn't, that's probably not going to happen in most situations, but like it can happen depending on how your child is feeling and, and whatnot. And then when the session's over, tell them that playtime is over. Don't go over time by more than a few minutes. And then you do the cleaning. Don't make the kid clean unless they want to. Like if they volunteer to clean, like that's, that's them deciding what they want to do. Otherwise they're just, they're, they're out and that's okay. It's kind of counterintuitive, but it's, it's sort of in the spirit of what is happening. And then if they just don't want to end the session, you just have to tell them that it's, it's done and that you'll play again with them next week or whenever, how often you do this with them. So yeah, those are like the basics of how to do it. And just adhering to those rules and like having that structure and being consistent about it. Over time, you start to see things and what you see is not only a deepening of your relationship with your child and an increased understanding, but they start to, especially younger kids, like they start to act out through play their challenges. I mean, I've seen in more therapeutic settings like this, there's a version of this. This is like, this is psychoeducational. This isn't like therapy, but therapists do this kind of thing on a more intense level. And I've seen really interesting things where, you know, kids, let's say their parents are divorced. Like it doesn't take long before they start to act out those themes and their play with, you know, toys. Like you got two dinosaurs that live together and then suddenly they're like playing on opposite ends of the, of the blanket, you know, and they're not anywhere near each other. And maybe there's like a baby dinosaur in the middle and it's just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like they are acting out like how they feel like they're, they're wow. stuck in the middle between these two ends, these polar ends wow. of their parents. You know, it's like, it really helps us understand what kids are, are going through because sometimes like it just, we see like we know that our kids might be going through something, but like they don't act like it like on a day-to-day basis. We can't really tell. And then you do this with them and you're like, oh, this is actually something that they are feeling in a really deep level. And you do this with them over time and they themselves with your love and support, like are basically healing themselves. Like, I mean, kids are amazing. Like they are so resilient and they have the capacity to do this. They just need the structure and like the safe base of their loving parents, their father, whoever. Moms can do this too, of course, to be able to do that. It's, it's just amazing to me. That is blowing my mind. So essentially the benefit is doing this special play, they will be able to solve their own problems and heal themselves. Exactly. Yeah, that's like the big, huge goal. So, I mean, especially like, and this is something that um, I guess if like your family's in a situation where maybe there's not like lots of trauma going on in your family or whatever, like I think that like uh, usually families can pull this off on their own without training. But if let's say that your family's in a situation where there's been some pretty serious stuff like sexual abuse or, or whatever, like obviously like a therapist should train you how to do this with your specific situation 
so that's how it works with like younger kids. I mean, I'm not going to put an age on it set in stone, but like, I would say that this is something that you could do with kids pretty effectively between the ages of like maybe two and maybe nine or 10, you know, once they get kind of past that, like the, the play aspect might need to be modified or just not non-existent. Like once you get to older kids to teenagers and stuff, like you can still do this kind of thing with them. It's just not on a blanket with toys around the blanket. It's more like you're having these regular sessions of one-on-one time where they are taking the lead. Like they decide like maybe what activity you do and they decide what you talk about, but they sort of don't get to decide whether there is a session, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like it's kind of like, we're it's, you can just call it like one-on-one time or whatever. And um, it could be a walk, could be playing a board game or, ca- or a card game, going on a drive, playing catch or, you know, shooting some hoops or something, just like spending time together in a setting in which you could talk if they wanted to. And sometimes they're not going to say anything, teenagers. And then sometimes they are, they are going to open up and say, Hey, like, this is going on and I don't know what to do. And then you, and then, you know, like, you know, earlier than you would have, and you can step in to help um, so that they don't have to suffer as much as they would, you know, otherwise. So it's just, it's, there's something here for kids of all ages and yeah, it's really fun. I really like it. It's, it really helped me with my kids, especially during, you know, the early part of the pandemic during lockdown we did this and it was amazing. Like you get to the end of these sessions and they didn't want to end, you know, they just wanted to keep going. They just loved it. They loved the attention. Like they just, that's what they crave it. Kids crave the undivided attention of their parents. And there's no better way to show them that you love them than to like, to be there with them and for them. And to, you know, of course, hugs and kisses and bedtime stories are important. All that's important. I think that this is just, taking it to the next level. And sometimes that's what they want to do. Like sometimes your kid just wants to snuggle you, wants a hug, or maybe want you to tell them a story or something, you know, during, during special play. So I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. You know, sometimes I wish it was that easy for adults to just spread out a blanket and go play with toys and help resolve your problems. You know what I mean? There's also versions of it that Uh, that are kind of within the same theoretical framework that are for adults. So yeah, I mean, some of the most powerful moments of my life were like when I was getting trained in this. So I'll just, I'll just share an example. It's not like super too personal or anything, but um, so like I said, this is like a child centered approach. So it's like a a child healing themselves in the context of that loving relationship. But there's also something called person centered therapy or treatment or whatever. And I think within this, you know, theoretical framework, there's a number of ways to provide help. And one of them, it's weird. It's called, it's something called sand tray. And so you got a sandbox. Kids can do it, but adults can do it as well. And kind of like how with play therapy or not play therapy, but like with a, a special play, you've got toys around this blanket. Well, with sand tray, you've got toys in a room you know, and it's in a professional setting and they've got all the types of archaic toys of, you know, that represent various things. And so when we were kind of checking out this uh, for a class I was in for my master of social work program, we went to an agency where they had a room like this and they had all these sand trays. 
And so we took turns and you have like a therapist who's kind of guiding you or like kind of narrating what you're doing. And at the time it was like right before my first child was born and I was feeling like really worried. It's like, oh, like, am I going to have enough time to be a good dad? Am I going to be able to be there for him given what I want to do with my life, which was like to go into academia. Like I was, I thought I was concerned that I was going to be too busy. And so I pulled off some, just a few toys off of these shelves. And so three of the toys were like, there was a man figure and there was a, like a child figure and a wheelbarrow. And I didn't know why I was grabbing these things. I was just like, yeah, this feels good. I'm just going to grab these. And then I take it to the sand tray and I start arranging those three things. And there was a couple of other things going on in the sand tray as well. Um, but I was trying to situate these figures in a way that felt right. It's kind of weird. Uh, but like, you know, the, the therapist person on the other side was kind of saying what, what I was doing and I was kind of explaining what I was doing. And then it just didn't feel right until what I did. I had the man pushing the wheelbarrow and rather than having the, the boy figure off to the side or on the other end of the sand tray, what I did, I put the child in the wheelbarrow in a playful way. And I realized at that moment that like the wheelbarrow to me was like, for whatever reason, it represented like the anxiety I had around work. You know, it's like, this is, this represents work, all the work that I have to do in my life to provide for my family or, or whatever. And how does my child fit in there? And literally he did. Like I was able to set my son who wasn't quite yet born into the wheelbarrow as a form of play. And it was like a, I guess it was sort of an epiphany moment for me. Um, and it's not something that I learned, you know, by reading a book or, and it's probably not something I would have figured out so much on my own without this. Like by doing that, I was like, oh, I can have my child with me in my work. And I did. So he was born as an infant. I was reading to him, you know, like out of my textbooks. Like I would really? hold him. Yeah. Really? I, would, like, I, had, I had a music stand. And it was kind of funny too, because I was reading about like some pretty intense, you know, mental disorders <laughs> and I was like, you know, holding him and just smiling at him and reading to him about all these diagnoses and stuff. And then I found ways to just work from home when I can. And I know I'm not everybody has that privilege, but like I've found that I can work from home and that's what I'm doing right now. A lot of the time I spend time with my daughter who's 10 months old. I'm usually in charge with her in the mornings. And I read to her and I do the work that I can while also taking care of her and keeping an eye on her. And she's always safe. But uh, I realized that I could do both at the same time and still do good at both. And you mean like that was totally unintentional when you went and chose those things. Like you didn't have any idea what you were choosing before going into it, right? Exactly. It was not preconceived at all. Like I had no idea I was going to do that, put my child in the wheelbarrow toy thing. And that experience, I think, helped me understand what it's like for kids in special play. Like that's what they're doing. And it doesn't go away. We can do it as adults too. It's just harder. It doesn't come as naturally, I think, as we get a little bit older, but they have it within them. And, even and, and we have it within ourselves enough to understand and be there with them and it's, yeah, it's just, a, it's a powerful tool. And I hope people think about using it and there's resources online. I do recommend that people, 
you know, maybe before trying it, just maybe Google special play and see what types of resources pop up. Just, you know, read a, read a couple things online just to make sure that you kind of got it because you can do it wrong. <laughs> if, you know, if you're like judgmental and stuff, like it, it's, it has to be a different focus. And that said, if there's not like a perfect way to do it, like, so like you gave the example of like, you know, being focused with your daughter while she was playing um, with the dolls in the dollhouse. And that is totally cool. Like it doesn't have to be as intense as what I described, but the main thing is that you're present with them, you're focused. And I do think it's important to do like the, the sports casting and just to really show them that you're there and you're willing to do what they want and let them be in charge. Well, Professor Pace, thank you so much for sharing this. I am starting to make plans on how I can use this tool for my family because you never know what your kids are going through. And it's just good to have something set that you can go to frequently for your kids to kind of let their problems out and let their issues out and then solve it. So something that I'm going to start trying to do myself with some of my kids. I agree. It's such a great tool. And I think more people should know about it. So go try it. See, awesome. if it, see, see what you think. I will. Thank you. The story that I shared about my daughter coming and waking me up early in the morning to play some more, that truly changed my dynamics and my play with kids because before that it was just kind of do whatever and play and do what I kind of wanted to do. But just letting them do it first for me was something that changed. I didn't do everything like what Professor Pace explained, but kind of similar. And it changed our relationship forever. And I've tried to do that with all my kids where I kind of let them do what they want to do and I just am there. So I highly recommend this. Go Google it before you do it. Watch some videos. There's some on YouTube you can check out. And I hope this tool can be of use to you. So we're going to end this one with a manly mystery sound. The sound isn't as much as a mystery. It's the type that's a mystery. So enjoy. (laughs) 